Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you join us as we begin a new series, God Questions. During this series, we'll look at many questions. Among them, what about how science and Christianity relate to one another? And in another session, we'll look at the reliability of the Bible. Today, Lead Pastor David Fossil gives us some guidance on the question, Don't all religions lead to God? It is good to have you at Bay Hills this morning. We are starting a brand new series called The God Questions. We're going to try and tackle over the next three, four weeks some of the big questions that all of us have either wondered or had about Christianity and faith. We're in one of the weeks we're going to talk about um, uh, science and, and Christianity. We're going to jump right into evolution and creationism and talk about that a little bit. We're going to talk about the historicity and reliability of the Bible. Is it full of myths and mistakes? And so we're going to jump into archaeology there a little bit. We're going to ask, try, try and ask and answer the question, why does a good God allow bad things to happen to good people? Something we all kind of wonder about, think about sometime. Today, you probably gathered by Jason's story. Jason and his wife, Nikki, um, come to our church. They attended first service this morning. We're going to try and talk about the questions, don't all religions ultimately lead to God? Um, maybe your story isn't like Jason's. If you heard his story and if you talked to him a little bit more, I mean, he's, he's dabbled in and had experience in, in almost every different religion and faith and, and, and he's been searching for quite a while. And, uh, we might not have that experience, but I think all of us at some point in time had that question. You know, we have co-workers and neighbors and, and friends of ours that have different religions and different faiths and they seem really nice and they seem really good people. And, and, and they seem sincere. And so certainly, certainly all these faiths and religions, they must be talking about the same thing. Ultimately, they look a little bit different. They, they smell a little bit different. They everything, but they all end up basically saying the same thing, don't they? There's five different religions in the world that comprise about five, uh, 95% of people in the world. Islam, Judaism, Hinduism, Buddhism, and Christianity. Now, if anyone would, t- would say to you that, um, all of these religions Um, basically end up at the same spot, the assumption is they basically teach the same things. You know, everybody, you know, they're all trying to help us with spirituality, help us improve our souls. You know, we're supposed to be a good person. We're supposed to do a couple rituals and, you know, thumbs up, we're good with God, right? All of these religions look a little bit different, but they all get us from point A to point B. You know, it's kind of like this, someone might expect. It's basically, real world religions are like different cars, okay? So, for example, you got the VW Beetle, right? Having a comeback. It's a cool to have a VW Beetle. Then you have the Mercedes-Benz S-Class. Who doesn't want one of those suckers, right? Then you've got the Chevy Nova. We'll move on quickly from that. You've got the Porsche 911, easily one of the most popular sports cars of all time. And then, of course, the super sexy chick magnet of a car, the Ford Pinto, right? Now... We all instinctively know. We may have not had all of these cars, but don't we all know? All these cars, uh, different sizes pretty much, different comfort levels. Some are faster than others. Some are nicer than others. Some are clearly more expensive than others, right? Some of us, you know, some have, are, are more reliable than, than others. But, you know, come, they're all cars. Ultimately, I might prefer one to another, but ultimately they're going to get me from point A to point B. Just like those world religions. You know, they, one, I might prefer one to another, but they're all going to get me from point A to point B. All, oh, they're basically the same thing, right? And, and then you have some, you know, kind of important people in the history that have said things like this. So, for example, Mahatma Gandhi said the soul of religion is one. 
but it is encased in a multitude of forms. It's all teaching the same thing. And then, of, of course, if she said it, it has to be true. Oprah said, one of the biggest mistakes we make is to believe that there's only one way. And so you've got a lot of people saying that to us and teaching. Come on, let's behave ourselves. Let's be politically correct. Let's be kind and open to one another. You know, everything, everything's basically teaching, teaching the same thing. Well, what I'd like to do is I'd like you to grab your study guide real quick that's in your program. And on the back side, I've got a chart for you. Um, what I'm going to try and do is I'm going to try and help you in the next eight to nine minutes on the back of this chart. You try and figure out, is this teaching the same thing? Now, I'm going to give you some suggestions for today and for the next couple of weeks. I hope you'll come back because we've got some, some interesting, very important things to talk about. Two things. One, you need to put your thinking cap on. Okay, I'm going to try and cover in 23 minutes this morning what typically is an entire course, a semester course at a college class. Okay. Now that doesn't mean we're not going to be able to make some progress, but we certainly aren't going to be able to cover everything of it. But you got to put your thinking caps on because this is some heavy duty stuff. No fluff Sunday this morning. Second thing is don't listen just for yourself. You may know the answer to this question for yourself, but listen so that you can dialogue with your friends, coworkers, neighbors that may have this very same question. So now I filled most of it out for you. All you have to do, if, if you want, is fill out the founder. Okay, so let's just kind of go through one by one. Let's start, start talking by Islam. Islam, the key figure there is the Prophet Muhammad. You've heard of the Prophet Muhammad, right? You may not know that Islam teaches that the Prophet Muhammad, um, he was, a, as a young guy, married a very, very, very wealthy widow and didn't have to work. So some of the single guys are going, well, that sounds good with me, right? And so that's what he did. He spent most of his day not working, and he just spent his day meditating. Meditating. That's what he would do. And during one of his meditations, he had a vision, says Prophet Muhammad, that Allah is the one true God. And that's what Islam is based upon. The sacred writing is the Quran. If you really want to understand the Quran, you must learn Arabic, because that's what it should be read in. God is known as Allah. The Quran teaches that Allah doesn't really want to get to know you. He doesn't really want to, to have a personal kind of any kind of relationship with you. And Allah, both good and evil, come from Allah. That's what the Quran teaches. Salvation, how do I get saved? Submission to Allah and good works. Okay, let's move on. Hinduism, there is no key figure in Hinduism. They have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of spiritual or sacred writings. I've given you the main ones there. Gods, they have thousands of gods. You do know Hindus, Hindus have no problem saying Jesus was God. No problem, sure, let's put him on the list. In fact, you can be God. Did you know that? If, if, as a Hindu, you could be a God. I could be a God if we get to a certain level. Thousands of Hindu, uh, of gods for, for Hindus. And, and then how do, how do I get saved? Well, this is what you need to do. You need to merge with Brahman. They have thousands of gods, but Brahman is the top God. He's like the Michael Jordan of gods. So you have to merge with Brahman through thousands of reincarnations and much suffering. So let me explain this how it's going to work. You're going to live your life right now. You're going to suffer. You're going to live your life. You're going to do the best you can. At the end of your life, they're going to evaluate your life. And based upon how you did, how you handled your sufferings, you're going to come back in another life, reincarnated, uh, different body, same spirit or soul, and you'll either be upgraded or downgraded based upon how you live your life. So then you're going to suffer. You're going to live your life. You're going to do good. You're going to do evil. At the end of that life, they're going to evaluate your life, and you're either going to get upgraded or you're going to get downgraded 
based upon how you live your life. And this goes on and on and on until hopefully you gallivate far enough that you can merge with Brahman. So let's just pretend for the moment, if we were Hindus, okay, let's just think through some people, what would happen? So for example, take someone like Mother Teresa. Would she get downgraded or upgraded? She'd get upgraded. I think she's done, you know, wow, um, lived pretty good life. She would get upgraded, come back as something even better or more influential. How about someone like uh, Nelson Mandela, downgraded or upgraded? He would get upgraded. I think also he's given a lot towards mankind. How about someone like uh, Charlie Sheen, upgraded or downgraded? (laughs) He'd probably get downgraded, right? Come back as like a snail or something evil, like a cat maybe, (laughs) something like that. That's, I'm just trying to help you understand this. Okay. Buddhism. The key figure for Buddhism is Buddha. You know who I'm talking about, the kind of, you know, balding, heavy set kind of guy that's in statues sometimes. The Enlightened One. He's known as the Enlightened One. Sacred writings called the Tripitaka. Now check this out. Buddhisms don't believe in God. Buddhists don't believe in God. I bet you most of you didn't even know that before you showed up here today. You go, well, how the heck is it a major faith, major religion? I'm not sure, but there is no God in Buddhism. No God. Well, how the heck am I supposed to get saved? Well, here's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to eliminate all desires or cravings. That's called nirvana. That's not a cool band. It comes from Buddhism. Okay? And the way you do that is by becoming a monk. If you've ever seen on TV the monks and and they're chanting and and they're up in some monastery in the middle of nowhere, very little clothing, very little food, trying to eliminate pleasure and desires from their life. They're trying to achieve nirvana. Okay, and ultimately what we want, you see it there, is the annihilation of personal existence. So this is how they would explain it. Just if you take a candle and at some point in time blow it out, that is ultimate nirvana for you. We will just eliminate your life. You will exist no more. Now, to me, that doesn't sound very attractive, but that is what traditional Buddhism teaches. Okay. Judaism, I'm sure most of us are a little bit more familiar with Judaism. Key figures, Abraham and Moses, sacred writings, Old Testament and the Talmud. The Talmud is interpretation of the Testament. They, uh, their God is Yahweh. How do you get saved? Ethnic morality is how you get saved. What do you mean by that? Well, if you've ever heard of, of, a, of someone converting to Judaism, that's because they don't have Jewish blood running through their veins, so they have to convert to Judaism, and then there's all these rules and laws that they have to obey, and then you're saved. Christianity, the last major faith, the world religion, uh, key figure, Jesus, sacred writings, the Bible, God is Trinity, um, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How do you get saved? By grace, through faith, only in Jesus Christ. Now, some people get all cut up, well, how do you say it's only you? When you look at all the faiths, all the world religions, essentially, they always say the same thing. Our path is the right path. But I want you to take three steps back. We have taken five minutes to evaluate the major religions of the world, I'm just asking you, does it sound to you like they teach the same thing? All you have to do is look at this chart. Let's put this next chart up there. Hinduism teaches there's many gods. Islam, Judaism, and Christianity teach there's only one God, only one. Of course, they can't agree on which one. Uh, Atheism and Buddhism, there's no God. See, very quickly, you see that world religions, they, they may ask the same questions, but they come up with completely different answers. It just takes a... You do not need a master's in comparative religion to see that they can't all be right. No way, no how, they can't all be right. Okay, well, that's where you've left me, Dave. Now what do I do? How do I choose? How do I figure this out? Well, what I'd like to do is I'd like to take about 17 minutes, and I want to show you 
how Christianity is the only faith that you can, not only is reasonably makes sense, but here's the kicker, that you can fully and completely depend on. You go, what do you mean by that? Well, I'm really talking about today. It's called Easter. It's celebrated by millions around this globe for about 2,000 years. Why? Because of one claim. It has nothing to do with loving your neighbor. It has nothing to do with turning the other cheek. It has nothing to do with following the commandment, ten commandments. None of that. One claim and one claim only that I think roots Christianity and makes it authentic and true and something you can depend on. And this is the claim right here. Put it on the screen. The claim that Jesus rose from the dead. Now, you're sitting, take a deep breath. We've all heard this before, but think about this. Just think about it for a moment. If this happened, if it happened, Jesus is now in a different category from all the other founders of the world religions. Every single one of those founders never claimed that they were going to come back from the dead. In fact, you can go to their tombs right now. If Jesus came back from the dead, if he came back from the dead, that changes everything. I mean, think about it, because it, sh- it certainly proves he wasn't just a normal guy. Because normal guys, normal people can't come back from the dead. And if he came back from the dead, proving he was completely different than every other founder, well, now I have to sit up and pay attention to what he said. Now his plan goes from being one of many. It goes right to the top of the list. First, for crying out loud, he came back from the dead. You go, well, yeah, that's what they say. But I- I'm not sure about that. This is how big a deal it is. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14. Here's what it says. Paul says, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, in other words, if Easter is a sham, that's what he's saying. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, then our preaching, what I do every week, is useless. I'm wasting my time, and so is your faith. In other words, if Jesus Christ didn't come back from the dead, if that's what you end up deciding, don't waste your time, don't come back to church. It's a waste. It's an absolute waste. But if he did, it changes everything. It changes everything. Well, how the heck am I in eight minutes going to get you to think about this? Well, let me just process it with you. And you, you figure out, does it ring true for you? Let me just give you a couple things. You can jot them down on the front side of your study guide. One, Jesus predicted it. This is crazy to think about. But several times Jesus said, I'm going to come back from the dead. That is craziness to do if you don't think you're going to be able to pull that off. That's craziness. And every time Jesus did that, two things happened. One, people got angry at him. Two, people thought he was crazy, including his disciples. What the heck is he talking about? He's going to come back from the dead, and Jesus says, yeah, listen up, because when I die and then I come back from the dead, it is going to prove once and for all that I am who I say I am. There's going to be no question anymore that I am the Son of God. I am serving notice that Christianity is true and that it is authentic and and that it is something that you can build your life on. And and I'm going to root it in history and I'm going to base it upon a supernatural miracle. That's what he said. He preached it and he was open about it. Okay, well, that doesn't mean anything, David. What else? Okay, let me give you a couple more. The empty empty tomb confirms it. I already said, you do know, there are the tombs of major founders of religions all over the world, except Jesus. You can go to Jerusalem right now, you can take a tour of Jerusalem, and they will take you to where they think Jesus was buried. You go, 
Come on, man. It was, uh, it was 1,900 years ago. Anything could have happened between now and then, except when you start looking not just at the Bible, but extra historical records about what happened. The Jewish leaders and the Roman leaders did not want in any way, shape, or form for this group, they believed it was a sect, called Christians to grow. They didn't want it. They didn't want it at all. If Jesus' tomb had not been empty, not just today, but 1,900 years ago, right after he died, if, if it had not been empty, all the authorities had to do was, hey, you know what, you Christians, just, just come over here. Here's the tomb. You don't believe, okay, let's, okay, let's, roll, the, let's roll the stone away. Let, let's, let's exhume the body. There it is right there. There it is. But they said and they did nothing because the tomb was absolutely and completely empty. There's no, no one doubts there was this guy called Jesus. He died on a cross. They threw him in a tomb. And then a week later, within the week, something, he wasn't there. But you see what happened, Dave, is his disciples stole the body. You see, that's what happened. Because they had everything to gain, right? Well, let's keep moving on. It wasn't just the disciples. Eyewitnesses saw it. Eyewitnesses claim to have seen. I want you to pretend right after church this afternoon, you go to the supermarket, you're in the checkout line. National Enquirer's right there. And its headline says this. It says, surfer in Santa Cruz claims to have seen a risen Michael Jackson. Now, if you were to see that, what would you think? You'd think, National Enquirer, surfer. You know, he's probably not telling the truth. You know, he doesn't know what he's talking about, right? A week later, you go back to the same supermarket. He's right there. You know, and, and, and now it's two other magazines. Now it's Time Magazine and Newsweek. And their front cover says this. Six families, while camping at Yosemite, claim to have seen a risen Michael Jackson. Now you're thinking, well, these are kind of reputable magazines. This is a little different now. And now imagine a week after that, every major network on TV. I'm talking NBC, ABC, CBS. I'm talking Fox News, MSNBC, everybody. They are interviewing dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of people who say the exact same thing. Now, I'm just making up the story, but I'm asking you, if that were to happen, would you sit up and pay attention? That's why this next verse is so important. Let's put it on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 5 and 6, written by Paul just a little while after the resurrection. He says this, And Jesus appeared to Peter and then to the 12 disciples. Well, see, they, they made it up. I mean, I can get any 12 of us, we can make up a story. But there's more. And after that, he appeared to more than 500. I love how he ends his verse. Most of them are still living. So he writes about Jesus. He writes the story of the resurrection and his plan. And he goes, you know, all you haters out there, if you don't believe me, all you got to do is just go to Jerusalem. Because there are dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of people that will tell you exactly what I told you. Well, now there's a little bit of problem because now you can't just say it's a hallucination. Now you can't just say it's 12 dudes getting together and making up a fun story. No, there's about 600 people that say this. But by far the most significant issue to deal with is the last one. People were transformed by it. They were radically transformed by it. When the story of Easter finishes, when Jesus dies on the cross, in Matthew 25, you have the story of a group of guys, the disciples, who are afraid and hiding in an upper room because they are the followers of a convicted criminal. And they're basically talking and they're figuring, you know what? We got to disband this thing. We better not do or say anything because they just, they just killed our leader. So let's just hush it down. Let's, let's, you know, let's just kind of dissolve and go back to our homes. Within weeks, 
in the same city, they're having Jesus rallies for thousands of people within weeks. And every single one of those guys, every single one but one, died a violent death because of one message. This was the message. Jesus is alive. Okay, dude, check it out. Come over here. We are going to kill you if you keep saying that. No, I'm not going to change my mind. Jesus is alive. What do they have to gain? I'm just asking you. They weren't, doing, they weren't going on a book tour. They weren't seminar speakers. They didn't make any money from it. Nothing. But something happened to them. You know what they claim happened to them? We saw a risen Christ. And they were radically transformed. And could I just say, there are dozens and dozens of people right around you this morning that make that same claim, including myself. That Jesus Christ has radically changed and transformed my life. I hope that on the way out, there's a resource table there, and there's a couple items from a guy called Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel, um, pretty smart guy. He's one of those guys that would always break the curve in high school, right? Always get an A. He uh, went to Harvard, got a law degree from Harvard, pretty smart, ended up working for Chicago Tribune as a writer, and his wife started going to church, and she started changing. And he was like, what is going on? You know, these Jesus freaks are getting a hold of her and changing her, right? So he asked his editor and got permission to write an expose on Christianity. His goal was to disprove Christianity. He was going to write several exposés. He went right after the resurrection. He says, I'm going to disprove it. One year later, he embraced Jesus Christ as his his savior. Because as a lawyer, he looked at all the evidence and he says, not only does nothing else make more sense, but this is the only thing that rings true. It's the only thing that rings true. That he really did come back from the dead, which changes everything. Now, if this is true, everything else flows simple. The second claim is this right here. The claim that Jesus is the only way. John chapter 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts chapter 4, verse 12, the salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Now, let me just say right here, because there's some people that we get, we get a little tense right here. Can I just say, this is not Jesus being prideful. This is not Jesus being narcissistic. This is not Jesus being narrow-minded and saying, I'm better than everyone else. He's not saying that at all. Why is he saying this? He's saying this because he loves you. And he wants you to have life. That's why he's saying this. Let's just pretend that one of my kids, my daughter Jessica, is diagnosed with a life-threatening illness. We go to the doctors. Kaiser tells us she's gonna, there's bad news, there's good news. Bad news, she's going to die. Good news is there's a medication, one medication, this bottle of pills right here. If she takes these pills, she's going to live. Now, I'm just asking you, how reasonable would it be for me as a father to come home with her after the doctor's visit and say to her, sweetie, you can do whatever you want. You can take Tylenol. You can take Motrin. If it really hurts, you can take Vicodin. Or if you want, you can take these pills. Whichever one, I'm good with that. Would that be reasonable at all? No. As a dad, I would say, take these pills. This is the only thing that's going to save you. And Jesus says the same thing to you. I'm not trying to be narrow-minded or put anyone else down. I want you to have life. I love you and I want you to have life and my plan's the only plan that works. So what do we do with this? Well, there's two or three things I want you to do. Take your Bibles, turn to Romans 11. If you had grabbed a Bible on the back table, that's on page 801, 802, something like that. Three things I want you to do. In Romans chapter 11, right at the end, now Romans is the story of God's plan. It's the most in-depth presentation of God's plan. 
and what he did and why he did it and how it impacts us. And right at the end, Paul basically breaks down and, and he says this. Look what he says, verse 33, Romans chapter 11. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments. You know what he's saying right there? I can't believe God did what he did for me. It makes no sense that he would do that much for me. And then you drop down to verse 36 and it says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever, amen. Some of you have been church going people for a long time. The first thing you ought to do is take about 10 steps back and just do one thing. Do what he did right here and say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for your plan. For me, thank you, God. Why? Because all the other religions of the world, their plan, this is how they spell it right here. Put it on the screen. They spell it like this, do. You got to do this and you got to do that and you got to go here and you got to do that. You got to obey these laws and you got to become a monk. You got to meditate and you got to do good works. You got to deny yourself and you got to do the rituals. You got to become enlightened. You got to avoid certain sins and you got to more and more and more. Do all these things and then maybe you'll be saved. The reason I say maybe, because if you screw up, now you've got to do some more works. And you never know, have I done enough? Am I good enough? You've got to keep doing, and you've got to keep doing, and you've got to keep doing. But that's not how Christianity spells its plan. This is how Christianity spells its plan. Done. What you needed to do to connect to God has already been done for you in the person of Jesus Christ and his cross. You don't have to do anything other than accept it and embrace it. What you and I couldn't do, we could not live a perfect life. We could not attain God's righteousness. We could not pay for our sins. Jesus says, check it out, I'll do it for you. It's already been done. Now all you have to do is receive it. That's all you got to do. You just got to take it. You got to receive it. So just say thank you, God. If, if that's what you do this Easter, that's a wonderful response couple other things. Go back to chapter 10, verse 13. Two more things I want you to do. Chapter 10, verse 13, one page to the left. Paul says this, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on the one they haven't believed in? How can they believe in the one they haven't heard? And how can they hear it without someone preaching or telling them? In other words, this Jesus plan, this God plan to connect to, to, to God, I, it's, it's not just a philosophical discussion. This is not me being melodramatic. It is a life and death issue. If your friend, your friend has the same illness that my daughter had, and she was healed by the bottle of pills, I'm just asking, would you tell her, your friend about the pills? Well, that's a no-brainer. Of course you would. But we need to figure out a way to tactfully tell people we care about, about this plan. It's a plan of life. And the last thing I really want to encourage you to do is to accept Jesus if you've never done that. Chapter 10, verse 9, Paul says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, in other words, admit that he take care of your sin, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Confess, believe, equals salvation. Let me explain it like this. This is my last story. I'm going to wrap it up. Let's put it up here. Morality ladder. Let's pretend this ladder represents a ladder of goodness. It represents how good you are as a person, how kind you are as a a person, how merciful you are as a person. The Bible calls it basically holiness or righteousness. That's what this represents. All the bad people are at the bottom. All the good people are at the top. So let's just start filling in the blanks. Let's put the first a couple up there. 
God's at the top, right? Because he's completely holy and he's completely perfect and he's completely good. That's why he deserves to be at the top. And at the bottom, we have mass murders, right? This is the Je- Jeffrey Dahmers of the world. This is, uh, you know, the Adolf Hitlers of the world. They, they're really bad people, so they're at the bottom of the morality ladder. Let's start filling in some more. Let's put a couple more up there. I think we would all agree that someone like Mother Teresa and Billy Graham, they kind of deserve to be at the top end of the ladder. Two very good people, two very kind people, right? So just start filling in. Let's put one more in there. I'm, some, I know as your pastor, you think I should be a little higher. I'm doing the best I can, right? Now, the good news is, is our children's pastor, Linda Vinoy, she's clearly holier than I am, okay? Our student's pastor, Terrence Green, on the other hand, a little different, but we will want to talk about that right now. All right, here's all I want you to do. I want you to take an imaginary pen. You got your imaginary pen, and I want you to draw an arrow wherever you think you are on the ladder. Just look at the ladder, figure out where you would slot yourself. You see where you would slot yourself? You got it? Okay, here's my question. What is your plan to make up the gap? What's your plan to make up the gap? Every world religion says there's a gap. That's the point. God's way up here and we're somewhere in here and we got to make up the gap. What's your plan? If you are on the man-made self-improvement plan, if you're trying to do better and you're trying to be nicer and you're kind of like the hamster on the wheel, just do more and run faster and do more and run faster... I'd like to humbly suggest you are wasting your life on spin cycle. I am not saying you are a bad person. I'm saying that you and I aren't good enough. That's what I'm saying. We're not good enough. I can't be perfect all the time. I can't be perfect forever. I can't. I can't even go back and take care of all all my past garbage. I can't do it. And neither can you. What's your plan? By the way, you know what Mother Teresa and Billy Graham's plan is was it's the plan of jesus christ and his cross you want to know what my plan is my plan is the plan of jesus christ and his cross i am not going to hold on to who i am as a person i'm going to hold on to who he was as a person the way i'm going to live my life is i'm going to hold on to jesus for my salvation and then I'm going to live a life of trying to do good things, not to earn my salvation, but just trying to honor God. That's how I'm going to live my life. Because he said, that's my plan. And his life and what today represents legitimizes that plan. I want you to worship him and thank him for his plan. I want you to try and tell others about it whenever you can. And if you've never done it, I want you to accept his plan. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for what you've taught us today. And um, we want to thank you for stretching our minds and stretching our thoughts. Father, we want to thank you for your son Jesus more than anything else. Thank you for what today represents. Thank you that he didn't stay in that grave, but he is risen. Father, I pray that you would remind us to take a breath and to thank you and to worship you. To go out of our way to tactfully but intentionally tell others about this plan. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you're here today and you've never embraced Jesus Christ, you've never said yes to the plan, you're like the hamster on the wheel, running as fast as you can, but you want to do that, I want you to just sincerely pray this prayer. 
Dear God, I want to confess with my mouth that I am sinful. I want to confess with my mouth that your son Jesus died for my sins. And dear God, as best as I know how, I've still got issues and I've still got questions, but I do believe that Jesus rose from the dead, proving that he was who he said he was, legitimizing his plan for my life and for everyone's. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If this morning you prayed that prayer for the first time, I wonder if you could just slip your hand up and down real quick so I could see it. Just do it real quick, very good. Anyone else? Many hands. Anyone else? Anyone else? Very good. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for those who prayed that prayer. And I pray that you would encourage them. I pray that you would help them in their steps and walks as a, as a follower of yours. And uh, we love you and we thank you for Easter and your son Jesus. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the Internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, is radically committed to reaching the unchurched in the Bay Area and to developing believers into fully devoted followers of Christ. Thanks again for listening.